0: You know, we focus on on the narrative. We, we focus on some of the you know very a, a little bit of the technical work, but but enough that if you know, depending on on how you want to approach this, I think both of us can can talk about it. Okay. Or, or we can talk about you know the fact that Debbie Morgan is I've never seen anyone as attractive as Debbie Morgan in Eves Bayou.
1: <laughs> so. She
0: was beautiful.
1: So, oh, so, my goodness. So,
0: you know, just heads up, I'll be spending 20 minutes talking about Debbie Morgan. Jesus. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Jesus. So. I, I love myself some Debbie Morgan, you too. Know. I don't know about if She needs a, a third of the show. 20 solid minutes of okay, Debbie where Morgan. Okay, but where were you first introduced to her,
1: though?
0: Okay, oh, let's oh. save this for the show.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. Let's I'll save say. this for I'm, the show. I'm
0: going to try not to call her Angie from All My Children. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right, let's save this for the show. Oh, you two kids okay. when you get together, I can see what's happening.
0: <laughs> okay. So, um and and just so so Lynn will introduce you.
2: No, you don't okay. no, no, I'm
0: sorry. Lynn will introduce this show. I'll introduce okay. you and then the way we we do it is that, you know, when we have a guest in what we call the third cheer we you know, I'll basically ask you why did you want to talk about Eve's Bayou and, okay. and then you just lay it out, you know, cool. you know, whichever way you want to approach it. And then Lynn and I will will chime in. Awesome. And and, you know, structurally, it it, it really is a conversation. Okay. It is a conversation. And, and I have to say that based on the guests that we've had thus far, I'm going to say that that Lynn and I are good hosts and we tend to defer to the guest. So, you know. Get
1: in. Yes, I've listened.
2: Yeah, I've listened. So okay. I,
0: I kind of feel like I know how it goes. Okay.
2: Awesome. Oh, <laughs> dope. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'm ready for you, suckers. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. All right. So let's get started. All right. All right. Okay. All right.
0: You're going to say, like, was that your no. let's get started? Like, just saying, let's get started. You, I mean, you're going to say, we're about to.
2: Yes. I'm, Vince, okay. I got this. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't. I mean, why, why are you so nervous, Vince? <laughs> all right. <laughs> He's so
0: nervous. I mean, you know. It's like this is the first person that like I knew this one, so. <laughs> like your people, I don't really care, but you know, it's my people. Oh, God. Okay, bro I
2: understand. <laughs> understand. <laughs> That's why you made me wear shoes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right, so we're getting ready. Let's go. All right. Okay. What's up everybody? Welcome once again to the latest stop on the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, the Bat Tribble of Black Tribble's fame. And as always, I am joined by my co-host. Uh, this is Vincent Williams. It's all Soul Wednesday nights, 8 to 10. Yeah. Tonight we are taking a trip down south. Down to 1997's eves by you and we're not taking that trip alone no we're not um a reason for this journey is because of our very special guest that we have on our show this evening vince why don't you introduce the audience to our guest
0: i will i will it's our great pleasure and honor to be here tonight with dr michelle prettyman beverly from mercer university and i have to say an old friend an yes. old friend, yeah, we, we went to undergrad together. So I know smart people.
2: <laughs> Congratulations. Too bad that uh, Michelle can't say the same thing. So, <laughs> hey, hey, Michelle. <laughs> no,
1: no, no. I have fond memories of Vincent's intellect. I do. We had lots of good conversations.
0: There you go.
2: So, Michelle, welcome. To the Michelle oh, thank Absolutely.
0: You. Welcome. Welcome.
2: And thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, from what I understand, before we get it, 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 move a little bit further, is that um, you are an assistant professor at Mercer University. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what is the, what, what are you a professor of there? Journalism?
1: No, I'm more on the media studies side. Our department has journalism and media, but I'm more on the media studies side. And Media studies is kind of a weird term, but I really consider myself a scholar of film and visual culture, and especially of uh, black film and visual culture. So, yeah, that's kind of my
2: area of expertise. Okay. Nice. nice. All right. Did you get into that naturally, or is that just something you gravitated towards?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a probably a long answer, but um, the short of it is that I've really... Um, I was raised by an artist, and I'm sure that played a role. The older I get, the more invested I am in art and, and the visual culture side. Um, but I just really loved film at a point. And um, back at uh, the University of Maryland, where I met uh, Vincent, we um, we all probably, I think, explored lots of interests in race and in culture. But my, my real um, passion was really film. And I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I still consider myself a burgeoning filmmaker, but but right now I should have wear the hat of a film scholar more than anything else.
0: Yeah? Okay, so so you you went towards the research side and 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 I guess the um, critique and criticism, and and do you see that yes. working together with being an artist? Like like how do you how do you view that working in concert? You, you know the 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 actual practitioner and the mm-hmm. and the critic. So you don't see them as being in um opposition to one another, if you will.
1: No, I think they kind of work beautifully together. And the the longer I've done this, the more I meet people who are kind of weird like me, like that, like you have an artistic side or creative side, and then you have a theoretical side. It'll probably have more sides than that, but you know, in the Academy, that's kind of how it works more. There, I know lots of people who uh, make films or want to make films and people who sort of analyze them and and sort of do the theoretical work, so they really do work together. And I used to be sort of upset with myself that I that I went down the academic road at this point in my life, but I think it's I think it works out. I think um, it makes for just a richer life overall, and and just a richer perspective uh, when it comes to approaching films, watching films. They all kind of work together, I guess. They're not in opposition at all to me.
0: Okay, all right. Well, let's go ahead and and get started. 1997's Eve's Bayou. Memory is a selection of images. Some elusive.
1: Others printed indelibly on the brain. Daddy loves you so much. I know.
2: We'll dance at everybody.
1: Each image is like a thread. Each thread woven together. To make a tapestry of intricate texture.
2: When I first met Louis, I said to myself, he's a healer, he'll take care of me. Do you still love her? Men fought each other for the privilege of speaking her name.
1: And the tapestry tells a story.
2: And I find
1: out he's just a man. You're in trouble. They're really mad.
2: Who, them? <laughs> They're always mad. And the story is our past.
1: I'll never forgive you if you drive him away. <laughs> I'm not your damn- summer i killed my father i was 10 years old i saw daddy what daddy and miss moreau what's wrong with her oh she'll be all right have you told anyone because if you tell i swear i'll do you Uh all
2: you know i love my sister but she's not unfamiliar with the inside of a mental hospital sunday Which one of your patients you're going to see, Lewis? What's wrong with that lady? Some illness hard to put a finger
1: on. Not every night he's not working. I know he's not.
2: She thinks I'm driving you away. She's a child, bro. How
1: do you kill someone with voodoo? I put his hair inside the wax coffin. Buried it in the graveyard. That's ridiculous. You want to face the dead. But you can't kill people with
0: voodoo. Sometimes a soldier falls on his own sword. Yes. (laughs) You speak to my wife again, and I will kill you. Oh,
1: God. No! Daddy! Bad girl! I Speak to her.
0: Why Eve's Bayou? We usually ask, you know, our guests that are in the third cheer, you know, we, people know we let them choose the film, and you chose Eve's Bayou. What is it about Eve's Bayou that you think is worthy of this level of scrutiny?
1: Wow, okay. Well, um I think there are a number of reasons for me. Um, and I have to go on record. Can we can we backtrack one second? I have to go on All record right. yes. by saying that the original film we were gonna we were gonna talk about is Losing Ground. The reason I have to do that is because Losing Ground is a film that I'm writing a book about and <laughs> I really wanna make sure that People say, "Hey, well, what did you choose?" To do? And it's not because Eve's Bayou is sort of a second choice, but just because I've done so much research on the film *Losing Ground*, and I want to say that first. But that, but having said that, the reason that Eve's Bayou is not only worthy of study, but for me, I've called it the perfect film.
0: And the really? reason I've said wow. that about,
1: yeah, right, provocative, right. But the reason I've said that is because for me, the film does what you want a film to do. You want the film to be visually rich, which for me it is, you know, if I watch it today, it's still as stunning as it was when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. You want the film to reference something that's meaningful, whether it's, um, you know, a certain way of telling a story or, you know, unearthing something historically interesting. And it does that. And I think, thirdly, you want a film that doesn't sort of compromise its artistic vision, for sort of commercial viability and it it was I think like the most successful independent film of that year. Now that was a nineteen ninety seven was a different filmmaking universe. We know that. But yeah. still that is a, a massive achievement for a small film uh made by a woman who was not a really established filmmaker. Well made by a woman first of all and made by a woman who wasn't established. So the film does so many things that are just Amazing and and just worthy of, of discussion.
2: So, yeah. Yeah. Not only it's, if, a, it's a
1: great film to talk about. Yeah.
2: Not only is uh, Cassie Lemons the director, writer, writer and director of the film, um, was she not established as a director? This was her directorial debut, right? right. Which, right. which, if you watch it, um, like you were saying, Michelle, looking at that film even today, if you look at the The scenes and the shots, the shot selection that she chooses in that film, um, the storytelling elements that she uh, uses, uh, a lot of sh- storytelling shorthand that she uses in that film, it is it's very uncommon to find yeah. a first time director being able to employ that with such a uh, depth and uh, skill. As Absolutely. she does in this film, it, it it really was something to behold. I actually had to do a double take. I knew this was early in her career, but I did not realize this was her directorial debut. You, you couldn't have told me that. Um,
1: yeah. Ever.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: Absolutely.
0: I always start with Eve's Bayou with the performances, mm-hmm. and mm. and particularly of with uh, Journey Smollett and Megan Good. Mm. And mm. and I remember watching this for the first time and being stunned by mm. how professional, how emotive, how, how, you know, I think just good both of them mm. were. And, and I think, you know, sort of watching it from scene to scene, mm. it's easy to forget just how much Journey Smollett carries a lot of the film. Yeah. Absolutely. And she's so young. <laughs> And, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and there's so much going on. So, you know, I kind of start with the performances, you, you know, in, a, in a lot of ways, this is a film that stars these two women.
2: I mean, mm-hmm. these two
0: young girls. Right. And then the rest of the cast is almost around them. And, you know, you see at the very beginning where, where the, the, the voiceover says, you know, the summer that I turned 10. And my sister Cecily turned fourteen. And then you know, she she mentions how old Poe turned, but I always I put in my notes, poor Poe. <laughs> Poe poor Poe. Just kinda <laughs> that caught was a bit of an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> poor <laughs> Poe's just kinda caught in this whirlwind of True. all this stuff going on. True. Yeah. But you know, it it's a real you have these two parallel coming of age stories. Mm-hmm. And 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 you, you know I, I think and, and I've you know I, I we've talked about this before even here when we've talked about fresh with uh, Sean Nelson I think a lot of times when we talk about coming of age stories a lot of times a they're boy stories yes and then when you do get a girl coming of age you know it's it's this very sort of um how do I want to put this almost stereotypically gendered coming of age where mm. where you know it's it's a sexual awakening or or you know the innocence is connected to her gender and and all these things and while certainly you could say this is true about you know sicily to a certain extent when you when you consider her um her arc when you look at what happens to eve where in a lot of ways this is about eve getting initiated mm. into this this tradition into this very sort of you know feminized tradition of 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 um storytellers of uh you you know practitioners of the site you know whatever you want to however you want to talk about this and and just on that level i always say that this is a triumph so that's you know that's my Mm. first kind of thing i come at this with
1: well said yeah Yeah, no i agree um it's interesting that you point out that not only are coming-of-age stories typically male, but I think the fact that this girl is positioned between these interesting sort of generational issues and and the way that she is sort of discovering everybody else's sexuality at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's not even just her. Right. It's like, well, wow, look at mama and oh shoot, look at daddy and you know, I mean, look at most of that. I mean, she's at the core of all of the stuff that's happening across the generations. And so she's positioned to see things in a way that is just profound. She's not just, it's not just telling her story, but as you said, she's able to sort of narrate this sort of intergenerational drama, you know, even going back to, you know, her, I don't know, what is it, grandmother, great-grandmother, whatever, you know, the Elder Eve, I call her, you know.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, it was, um, I want to ask you, Michelle, when you... when you look at this movie now uh, i'm assuming you've watched it again recently you know for for the uh, for the broadcast here um mm-hmm. is there anything that strikes you now that maybe didn't strike you the same way before maybe you even didn't even notice it on on your past viewings of the film mm. um i don't
1: know if there's anything that is striking me now I think there are certain things that I get stuck on with this film. And now we're talking about this earlier. Um, and for me, another triumph was, I, I, I. there's no point in wasting time getting to it, but just the sheer beauty of, of the women. Um, yeah. And we, we, we've we seen mm. films like mm-hmm. Daughters of the mm-hmm. Best that, that present that in another way, in a way that's both subtle and yet sort of very much... Um, Making a statement about the beauty of black women, right? But this one, to me, I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just always taken aback by that. And it, it's, it's so much. Um, in some ways, a corrective, but it feels very natural at the same time. I mean, is she, is she making a statement about you know the beauty of these women during this time? I mean, a time when you could argue that. Aesthetics were really out the window. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 1962, roughly, maybe it's taking place. Yes. So this isn't even the black arts movement when we start having those kinds of questions. This is a time where, you know, we're not thinking about beauty. We're not thinking about aesthetics. We're thinking about surviving and you know, all kinds right. of other things. Because I, even if you go back to, like, imagery in, like, the 1930s and 40s, like, say, James Van Der Zee photos, black people were really concerned with how they looked. Mm-hmm, I mean, it was mm-hmm. a very deliberate push, you know, whether it's the Harlem Renaissance you know, there are, there are moments when you can see in these photographs that people were positioned to be seen a certain way. And this film reminds me of that. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yes, it's Louisiana. Yes, it's 1962. But look at us. We are stunning. You know, yes. we are beautiful. And and then even the older women, the, the older women, what's the, um, grand mayor, right? The, 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 the Patriarch, uh, the matriarch of the father, right? Of yes. And dad, saying yes. this woman is stunning, right? Right. And F- so F-O-A-Lor. there's this, yes. Yes. Right? And there's this push to show this this beauty and it's sort of juxtaposed to, I guess, natural beauty as well. But to me, it's a very deliberate thing and I'm just still blown away by that. I don't know if it's something new, but it's something that just stays with me when I watch this.
2: I know when I found myself watching it now, I knew that kind of aesthetically that this movie takes place like you say in nineteen sixty two right but the only real uh a uh, hint of of the period that it takes place in is in some of the fashions and in mm-hmm. some of some of the um uh, uh, settings uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh that that you see them in, otherwise the movie is almost like timeless
0: right mm-hmm. you know, it, I mean it, it could
2: easily it this easily could have been a movie that you know especially since it does happen in Lu, Louisiana which you know seems like it operates on as a whole nother plane than the rest of the world anyway right right um, right mm-hmm. it, it 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 could be a film that could happen now
0: you right. know what I mean
2: mm-hmm. uh it and and that's what really I this time watching it I really was just struck by how you know this movie is just you could pick this movie up and put it in the 70s put it in the 80s put it in the 90s and it would fit right in you know aesthetically mm. as uh, as far as um structurally as far as the story because there is n- th- the, the the story is timeless right yet as heavy as the story is because this is you know this is from beginning to end uh definitively a drama as heavy as the story is there still is a little bit of a of a because of the the, the mystical aspects of it you know with the the second sight Um, being passed on through the generations and everything like that and 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 the the speaking of voodoo um with uh debbie morgan's character and diane carroll's character look at diane carroll doing more good work you you know this you know this but i know you're Uh, about to come up my my neck we'll we'll, we'll do that later we'll do that later we have an ongoing diane carroll debate in here um but (laughs) but even with Okay, so. but even with that, even with that still being that drama, all of the all of that in there gives the movie a little bit of a uh, of a very mystical, um, almost to the point of, I don't want to say like a fairy tale, but almost like one of the, like a mm-hmm. fractured tale type mm-hmm. of vibe mm-hmm. to it, and that's how I was like really, really receiving it, and for that, I came away with. This is a film that is just really a great film. But mm-hmm. for the first time, I could hear myself saying that, you know what? Kids, maybe age 13 so funny. to 17, mm-hmm. need
0: to see this mm-hmm. film. I was I mm-hmm. actu- I actually had a conversation with my wife yesterday about my mm-hmm. daughter, who who will be 12 in January. Mm-hmm. And, and we, mm-hmm. we were actually going back and forth. It was like... Uh, can we show, oh, I don't can uh, yeah. Ooh, listen, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Lisa Nicole Carson see, Lisa Nicole Carson pushes a lot of things out of the range of younger, uh-huh. that's not fair, yes she did <laughs> that's not fair, it. cause ooh, Lisa Nicole Carson, that's that's a lot going on right there That's not
2: fair That's not fair
0: <laughs> I'm just saying it. That's not fair just, Because
2: it's not Lisa Nicole Carson No no it's no It's Samuel Jackson Yes well, That's what it is Lisa Nicole Carson uh, Is just being Samuel Is just yes. being Lisa Nicole Carson I, I, In this I, film I understand She's not I, doing anything I'm just That's saying That's not fair <laughs> But 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 to your point But but to your point It's Samuel Jackson it, With his Here today going tomorrow accent That's yeah. working all the way hey, Through this movie hey. I'm sorry Did I go there I
0: apologize <laughs> But 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 to your point I do think there is is you know part of the tone of the film is this sort of this sort of dreaminess to it yes, this this sort yeah. of kind of mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 you know I hate to like I hate when people talk about Louisiana like this like I'm I'm sensitive you know obviously about stereotype in general mm-hmm. and and you know certain regions how we stereotype and I think when we talk about Louisiana we talk about it in a certain way but there's something there. Like, there's there's something, you know, I said before, that this was actually filmed. Like, I have people less than a half hour away from where this was filmed. And mm-hmm. it's something to that. Like, it is this sort of, it is this sort of dream-like state to it where things happen that make sense in this context. Mm-hmm. That if you were outside of the context, you would say, oh, that done... That doesn't make what? Well, wait what y'all did what mm-hmm. but at that place mm. and at that moment it makes sense and i think i agree with you lynn i think that there there is this this you know you call it magic realism you call it you know whatever term mm-hmm. you want to use that permeates this thing and and to that point i think the one the one part where i kind of pull away from from this is a timeless text is I you know I kind of noticed for the first time, well not noticed but I said like like there's there's this there's this resistance by Samuel Jackson's character Lu, you know Louis Lou Louis uh, Batisse, where he kind of resists his sister Moselle he resists all of this and I remember thinking, dude you grew up in this like you grew up in this world why would you think that. Moselle is crazy why would you think that she doesn't really have the sight like like the whole the whole family is positioned as y'all are descended from this woman who had these abilities and what I read this time was that he is a man of science and he left mm-hmm. and got formally educated mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. he came back and and you know and then this you know I think that read goes very nicely with this kind of gendered read where it, this is what happens. You know, men go places and they get this education, this sort of formal Western education, and then they say that, you know, this is hoodoo, or I'm gonna discount that. And part of the reason that you discount it is because it's women saying it and women doing it. And I mm-hmm. think and I think nineteen sixty two is this is this wonderful moment where you have like this first wave of a lot of black people that you know got a chance to go to college got a chance to go back I mean obviously black people had been going to college forever but you know like that kind of right there and in, in, in like like you just mentioned you know it's sort of the beginning of the civil rights movement and I see that like I see like that made sense to me once I kind of thought it through
1: mm. wow that was so rich I don't even know where to go with that Vincent. but here's what I here's a couple things um, You you're saying you're interpreting Lewis now as the sort of man of science, as you say, he, he's gone away, he's been trained, he's now sort of disavowing those old folk, traditional vernacular cultures that, that as you say, he likely has been steeped in, right? But I guess the other thing that's interesting is the film is also positioning itself in a way that sort of demarcates sort of African vernacular cultural tradition and sort of Western thinking, because I mean the film is obviously so very Freudian as well, right? There's all yes. these kinds of neuroses mm-hmm. that come up that we typically have associated with white people, with Western mm-hmm. people, right. and so you've got this family that's hovering on like the the fault lines of, of Africanness and Westernness, and and I think it extends even beyond. Lewis because I think the women while yes they are sort of the carriers of the African component of, of their sort of worldview they also still embody some of the psychoanalytic fissures like the, yeah. the brokenness mm-hmm. right the, the the whatever you describe Sicily's you know I don't I didn't even quite know how to quantify what it is that she's experiencing or where it even comes from but whatever that is, in some ways it sort of goes against sort of the Africanness that they've been steeped in because it is kind of this Western neurosis, or it's been sort of classified as such. Yes. So mm-hmm. if the film sort of hovers on these two, you know, so are we are we Western or are we African? And and maybe some of the conflict is this sort of trying to create this kind of kind of modern world view that is hovering on, you know, or pulling from maybe even a better way of saying it, these different kinds of um, traditions and ideas about how to be modern, you know.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. See, this is why we.
2: But need I wonder to if show. we can go, go no, ahead. Go. go. No. 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 Go. Go, Michelle. Go.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't want to get this point about your daughter, though, because what's also interesting to me is one of the reasons that the film is powerful, and but I can understand you giving some thought to whether or not your daughter would see it is because I think it tapped into this place that sort of 10, 12, 14 year old people feel this stuff, you know, the sexuality Mm -hmm. of your parents and my sexuality. And am I, I'm becoming, I'm a, and and think about Eve. Well, I'm kind of a tomboy. And Mm -hmm. just thinking about all of these different things, it might, it's kind of, I think it is a little anxiety producing for parents. It's like, I know you're probably thinking about this stuff anyway, but it, it, I think it's so powerfully psychical. Like it makes you think of things that you're either already experiencing or have experienced or maybe haven't gotten there yet. So I, I, I just wanted to sort of co-sign on that because I think it's a really interesting internal thing to, to let a kid watch this movie.
2: Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I definitely can see it being prob- problematic in thinking about that, um, especially, especially the the scene where, well, first of all. Especially the fact that in 1962, you know, these little girls are are allowed to say "damn" and "goddamn" all over the place. I'm sorry, I, 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 um, my head would be lumped up like crazy if I tried that.
0: Well, Grand Mare wanted to put the hands on them. Mare said she they should catch the hands.
2: Yeah, she, she needs she, she needed to catch. Him. She needs to catch uh, uh, mad hands like a two piece real quick. But um, but the scene where uh, Cicely comes home. After, one, just being defiant, leaving the house when she wasn't supposed to, going to see her father, and then going to get her hair done, um, tellingly, you know, in a uh, a hairstyle similar to her mother's. Right. I I could see, like, the second she takes, you know, her scarf off and you see, like, it's basically her mother, you know, 20 years ago, looking back at her. I could just see the conversation spark sparking all over uh, yeah. between mm-hmm. between parents on, on that scene and what that what that actually you know the hidden the undertones of that uh, of that scene. It's just a really
0: very very powerful. You know what I found ironic though about that? Like I think so much of of sort of sort of when you talk about these two girls. So again, you know you've got Eve and Eve is ten, and you've got Sicily uh, and Sicily is fourteen and And obviously, you know the text kind of puts forward that that Sicily is the one who's really transitioning. you know she gets her period and everything that goes on with her father and, and you know all of these sort of kind of traditional markers of a girl moving into womanhood. But I think I really pay again, going back to things happen. In this context, and they make sense in this context, but then when you think about it, it's like, wow, I can't believe that happened. There's a moment that I noticed, and then I noticed the rest of their interactions between um Moselle, you know, played by the great Debbie Morgan, and and you know, Moselle is the sister who is actually carrying the gift at this moment. Like she is is the bearer of the gift, she has the the sight. And she, you know, it kind of starts out that Eve is kind of like her little tomboy niece that hangs out with her. But the moment where Eve says, I saw my father with Maddie, and they have this exchange. And Moselle says to her, if you tell anybody, I will kill you. And if Mm -hmm. you are careless with your mother's emotions again, I will bring harm to you. Mm -hmm. And these did not strike me as idle threats like <laughs> like Eve has now decided that she is going to be in this world and then Moselle says well if you're going to be in this world you're in this world now and understand that somebody who would cause this kind of disruption to the family I will kill you and I'm letting you know I would kill you and if you you know again you, you say all this stuff you know you're getting real slick in the mouth I will bring harm to you and then like a couple of scenes after that it, you know when we get or, or maybe before that, because I forget the, the chronology of when it happened. I just know that the scenes were were near to each other. When um, when Lynn, when Lynn Whitfield's character is yelling at Cicely about sneaking out, she says, "And if you sneak out again, I'll lock you in your room forever." And it was like that's such a parent thing to say to a teenager, and mm-hmm. I, that like re- that really struck me. These two scenes of these two adult women talking to these younger women, but one conversation is an entirely different beast than the other conversation mm. and from that mm-hmm. moment forward Eve is in this world and, and you know and you see the film unfold and, and you know whether or not you want to blame Eve for getting a ball rolling for her father's death or you, you know Eve is now in this in a lot of ways Eve is the adult it has now moved into adulthood in a lot of you know in my reading more than Cicely has
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
0: That's
2: interesting because I I believe it is after that that Eve starts to really exhibit a more dismissive tone to her mother. I mean, they, they both girls have a very troubling um, relationship with their mother, um, brought a, brought about because of their their um, differing relationships with their father, right? Um, uh, but I do think that it is after that that she, Eve becomes um, a little bit more dismissive a little bit more looser of the tongue around her mom um, because I think she's sensing the brokenness of her mom because her mom, Lynn Woodfield uh, in in this movie is she's, to me anyway, she reads as a very broken um, woman who it's like a little bit rudderless doesn't know where to go with with her with the kids with the with the uh husband you know trying to figure out you know which which one do i put my attention to well being a good mother says i put my attention to my kids but i'm doing it and i'm losing him and he he's rolling out and i and he's getting away with Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquise Neal and Edgar Montplacier. the best way to eat a taco no what's the best way to eat a taco
0: that's with your hands with your hands also with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down it's like a layer it's the layer right so that the lettuce doesn't fall off can't have falling lettuce
2: I i can't let him get away with stuff but meanwhile if i get at him then it's affecting the kids and i think another great storytelling shorthand of this movie um is that there are massive arguments that go on between her and lewis uh linwood field's character and samuel jackson's character but you don't see them you right. just hear them from the child's point of view you know and mm-hmm. and oftentimes it while sometimes it happens when there's a big storm the and the storm is like raging, but what the kids hear, they don't even hear the storm; they hear the storm of the argument. Right. That's what's keeping them awake. Uh, I thought that was a uh, very telling. But I, I, I thought that you know, they they both both the children uh, were trying to find trying to find some way to 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 in their own way and imp, imp, uh, impart some kind some type of order into their structure, into their family. And
0: Poe just wants to go outside. (laughs) Poe, Poe.
2: Well, Lynn, I want to come back
1: to that because you're saying that you found uh, Lynn Whitfield's character to be broken and not sure. And I think that's true to a certain extent. But for me, one of the things that I always try to do... Is is to try to see where? How do I say this? Not so much to judge her, but mm-hmm. to see because for me, a lot of the film is about these kids finding the humanity in your character. So when you find humanity, you see the flaw. You see, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, they're yeah, they're given right. this window right into adulthood, but I think we all are, right? Okay. So it isn't. I don't know that. And, and first, I guess I would say he's. I would see him as even more broken than she. Oh, Lewis, she, oh, he, oh,
2: he's he's broke. He's broke down and, and, to his very last count.
1: <laughs> but let me say this: let's, there is certainly some ambiguity about what happens, and I guess we'll get to that. But what what really happens, if anything, between the ancestry, So even if you take that off the table, though, yeah. I mean, I think that I think that the film says a lot about relationships. Like, I don't know that. I think when you're in relationship with a person, there's a degree to which you you know you're going to occupy some of their brokenness or sort of accept it or embrace it there's this sharing of the brokenness but i don't know that i think it's like the kids are seeing you know this sort of fullness of like oh my gosh like you there's always i guess a moment when your parents or your idols or you know and then that completely dissolves and i don't think it matters who you are i think there is this ultimate complete disavowal of your parents like they don't know anything by the time you get to 10 or 12 they don't know anything they're never right you know so it's it's a very natural thing that happens in the film and i think even though they're dealing with things that are almost uh, not necessarily deviant but really just disturbing that's part of the reason why i love it because it's it's showing you that you know this is kind of the nature of of all of us, this fragile kind of sense of who we are as parents and who we are as kids. Mm. So I guess I didn't see her so much as broken, as just human, vulnerable. You know, um, and maybe he is too. I, you know, he, he gets on my nerves so bad. <laughs> so sometimes I can't see him clearly. I'm a little, you know, more yeah. objective with her. But, um, <laughs> but yeah,
2: just a wee bit. I, I sense it. I sense. It. I, I guess the reason. <laughs> I guess the reason why I say that she comes cross as broken to me is because and and I know this may be just because of of the setting but she spoke of like when she's walking along with Debbie Morgan right? mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> who who is her sister-in-law. You have to always keep yeah. in mind that she's their sister-in-law because oftentimes they come across as sisters. Right. Which not, yes. which, which, is, which, is, which is the way it's supposed to work. Which is the way it's know. supposed to work, but but still. Right, right. Um she's walking along with, with Debbie Morgan and she speaks to how you know you know no, she married Lewis and then he moved her down to this swamp.
0: Yes. Right. Yes.
2: So like so which then brings to mind to me that okay She's not naturally of this world. Obviously it's been down yeah. for a right, little bit. Right, but right, this right. is not this is she's not born to this. Right. Okay. Yet in within that same scene, she stops by um you know Diane Car- Car- Diane Carroll's um booth there, El Zora. Um uh, El Zora's place. Yeah. Yeah. And and El Zora gives her the reading of the bones, and all of a sudden now she's she you know she's grasping at that like oh my god now the kids must stay in the house you know what i mean and that Mm -hmm. struck me as Mm. someone who is just Mm. is just just looking for something you know and 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 maybe broken is not the right word but that didn't
0: that read as someone Mm. a little bit more askew than as just being That's very human. Interesting.
1: That's right. Very right. right, right. Hmm.
0: And and then she says to Moselle, I don't need no cat bones to read your fortune. Moselle Batisse, a curse on you cuz I love Diane <laughs> Carroll. I love Diane Carol in this movie. Well,
1: wasn't it so cool to see her? I mean, to see her. And, you know, there there are many you know, beautiful women in the the annals of of film and TV. But Diane Carroll just stands out to me. And to see her in this role where her face is sort of obscured and distorted, was kind of rich, frankly. Um, Michelle, you're not even preaching
0: to the choir right now. You are preaching. (laughs) I'm the preacher sitting up there right next to you. Oh, how much do I love? And and, and like you said, how much do I love the fact, because I remember the trailer for this. And I remember they said, you know, they had the cast and they said Diane Carroll was going to be in it. And I remember thinking that they would, I mean, it's Diane Carroll. So they're going to have her in one of these beautiful dresses like Lynn Whitfield and like Debbie Morgan. And then when you see her in this role, it is like, that's all right. Go on, Diane Carroll. (laughs) Although, and and, and I know I'm subjective. I, I know I have my bias. I did notice this time when she was standing in the house Laughing at Eve or teasing Eve, because because I, I also love that about Elzor. Like like I love this kind of double way that the film presents her, where you know she's kind of teasing this little girl, but but then you you also know there's something here. But when mm-hmm. she was standing in the nightgown and she had the the shock of white hair, I did think she's still Diane Carroll, though. Go on, girl, standing there <laughs> like she ain't no broke down witch. <laughs> Lynn what <laughs> <laughs> She was good. She was good. But you know what speaking of of El Zora's character and we and we just spoke about Grandmère, something else that I noticed this time. There are elders in this film, but they're not really a part of the main action. Like this mm-hmm. is a film with, you know, again these little girls and then you have Debbie Morgan and Lynn Whitfield and and you know while it is intergenerational, I I thought it was interesting that the intergenerational skewed younger. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't. That's realize. rare
1: in black films now. That's rare. Yeah, that yeah. elder generation is. You know. That's that. As you say, it's it, it, this. They get the focus in most films, right? right? That's where the wisdom is. I mean, uh, the exactly. children are.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. You know, it's big mom in the kitchen making a pot of greens, and she has some yeah. type of you know homespun. So, so I love that. But something that you or Lindsay, I wondered What did you think about the men in this film?
2: Men? <laughs> oh, me. Um, the, the the men. Okay. Well, you spoke about you spoke about uh, uh, Samuel Jackson, and uh, I was actually taking it aback a little bit when Vince you spoke of Samuel Jackson being a man of science. And I and and I guess technically he is the the town doctor, right? You know,
0: so uh, he is a man of science in that respect, right? The implication is he left, went to medical school, and that's and and like you said, Lynn Whitfield's character is not from here, yeah. And I I inferred that he met her out in the world, not out in the world, like, Mm -hmm. but
2: yeah, I hear you. Yet, um, yet he just came off as he definitely is getting his charm on. He's 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 being you know uh, Mr. Charm on here but for the most part he he just came across as a dog um and i just but but why help me understand like for me
1: he he there's something seminal about his infidelity like to me there's something we should be learning about what because it's not you're you're absolutely right he's charming he puts it on you know he's not fooling anybody it's it's you know, he's not even fooling his mother, right? Right. But right. what is it about, there's something like, in, there's something underneath of him, well, and I've been trying to figure out. Well, right? he says Help it.
2: Me. He says it. He says it in his letter to his sister. Um, and I and I do think it's telling that he wrote the letter to his sister, who you said he was a little bit dismissive of her second sight and everything like right, that. Right. But there obviously is still a closeness there. Um, Absolutely. Uh, he says it. He mm. There's a part of him that wants to be the hero mm-hmm. like you say he went away he's he's come back so now he's you know maybe he couldn't be the big man on campus but now i can be the big man of the town i can be the, i can be the smartest man in the room pretty much every place i go into right. i can be you know this uh desirable man for all of these women around uh, around town you know as you see him doing this little uh uh, 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 house calls. Um,
1: so why does he need that, though? Because, because in the letter, yes, he does say, you know, I I need to be a hero. I need to, you know, but I'm 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 saying beyond what he's saying, where does that come from? Because again, to me, it's it's speaking to like a larger sort of crisis, you know. And and I'm I'm just trying to figure out like why does he need that? He does, He's got all the town at his feet. He's, you know, He's got the most beautiful woman in the world. He's got these children. He's got money. He's got all the trappings. Why does he still need to be a hero to be
0: whatever it is? I, I just think it's men like that. And, and, and I'm going to say men because I think oftentimes it's men that you see like this. And I think within, within the context of this film, I, I, I really wanted to know about his father. And I really wanted mm-hmm. to know about the men in this family because if mm-hmm. if if it is like you know like I've I've seen and read and like I said you know we didn't call we didn't call it voodoo in my family they call it putting roots on people, but the mm-hmm. people who put roots on people were always women, mm-hmm. and and I'm wondering if you, you know like like just going by the the narration at the very beginning and the name of the town is Eves you if everything is Eve Batisse, Eve Batisse, and we are the descendants of Eve Batiste and, and I have this site like, like my Aunt Moselle and Moselle had it like presumably, you know, a woman before her, I'm wondering did he have to leave town and become a physician to kind of feed this need because there's no role for him in this world to, to kind of be the hero without, you know, doing this and and the reason I ask, because this is something else I noticed this time you don't really see a lot of exchanges between him and other men you know, he talks to, to Branford Marsalis' character uh, Moselle's husband before she dies and then of course there's the, the confrontation with um with, with, with Lenny, you know, Maddie's husband at the end, but you don't see him sort of function with other men, and and I and I do, I I don't I think That's that you know it's just a weakness within him where where you know I I he says it you know I need to be the hero I need for people to to want me but you know I think it was telling that again I, I I'm I'm looking at these scenes paralleling each other how they parallel him giving the um giving the aspirin to the older woman who then goes to Moselle. And gets the you know the the, the charm mm-hmm. that she keeps the close real to her, stuff. right? Yeah. She, exactly. She get <laughs> exactly. She gets the real stuff from Moselle. <laughs> and
1: yeah. Well, but am I? Am I? I mean, if I go back to this idea that because you know there there was this strand of thinking that westernness made you weak. The more western you were, you know, the more weak you were. And I don't subscribe to that, but I'm saying if we, there is something, there is something as I said before, that seems to be broken in him. That he achieves all of the, you know, the sort of western trappings of success. And yet, as you rightly point out, has fairly minimal or dysfunctional. Remember, he gets into fights with most of the men at some point.
0: How about Um, that?
1: Right, so he he has a sort of a strange relationship to other men, and I think it's very interesting that you say, "Well, hey, it, it does make you wonder where was his father? What would he like?" Because there does seem to be something missing, a certain constitution that he doesn't quite have. And I and and I don't remember which of you. I think both of you at different points in the conversation have pointed to the fact that while he is um, dismissive, um, maybe even mean about Moselle and her her whatever he sees it as because I'm not even sure what he sees it as. He says, you know, she was in the, the crazy house, she was in the nut house yeah. or whatever. She's not unfamiliar or whatever he says with the inside, <laughs> <You> right? But, <laughs> great line, but um, he loves her. He loves Moselle. He trusts yes. her. And so, is it the sense that there is a sort of missing piece to him that, that wasn't able to sort of undergird a kind of masculinity that could love all these women or maybe there was a certain pressure to love and take care of all of these women. I don't know, because he is the he is the the, the, the masculine piece there. And, why, and as you point out, there are any number of references to women who you know who have played a role in his development in some way. And and maybe he, there's a pressure that he that he internalizes, you know, to, to deal with all of these women.
2: Well, there's we could probably do a show. On his character alone, uh, that's you know, and just mine it, you know, all day. Um, especially trying to mine where that accent comes from and where it, where it goes every fifteen Don't minutes. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm sorry. It, it kept taking me out of the movie a little Don't bit do sometimes that. because. It's so disrespectful it, 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 dude it's not to be a disrespectful his <laughs> accent comes and goes a like the wind that's not disrespectful that's well, a little that's disrespectful, disrespectful. Oh, How is that disrespectful by
0: noticing that it's a pinch of disrespect it's a dash a dash <laughs> it's, it's not a dash a dash it's
1: okay a dash. all right tell us okay if we, can't, <laughs> look, that, we can't debate the accent can we debate the hair <laughs> Amazing hair. Amazing.
2: <laughs> look, look that was the hair of the time i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hurt you know <laughs>
0: what the I've 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 got pictures of my dad. (laughs) I was just—I've got proof. (laughs) You know what? Funny story. There's an old picture of my dad, and I said to my dad, "Dad, why did you know? Where did you get this conk?" And my dad corrected me and said, "I beg your pardon. A conk is what you do yourself in the mirror at home. This is a process." (laughs) And I said, "I apologize. I need to stay in But they were still
1: doing those in the '60s. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: I'm I'm not up on <laughs> the, the ways of
1: <laughs> male hair and chemicals. Okay.
2: Look at early Motown video. There's a ton of them the ambiguity. Oh you're
1: right. Ooh. What am I thinking? You're right. You're right. Sorry, I didn't correct it.
2: The ambiguity now of Now I'm gonna end. have to write a book oh, on
1: cinematic <laughs> black hair or male hair or
2: something. That's cool, that's fine. As long as you credit the Michelle mission, that's what <laughs> <insane>. Um I think it's 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 time we we've, we've been kind of like making our way there but now I think now is time to get to the crux of yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um uh the the what happens at the end which, pretty much what I guess is about you know the 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 third act of this film um which is where there we don't know something happens between Lewis Samuel Jackson's character and Sicily, and we get a little bit of game of uh, uh, Rashomon, uh, seeing it from both points of view. Um, mm. Either way, it's troubling. Either way, it's uh, very disturbing.
0: Yet, it is um, is real. And, and the film, you know, kind of took this thing to its logical conclusion. Yes,
2: it did. What, what, what are your thoughts uh, uh, about that uh, whole third act, Michelle?
1: Um, i was trying kind to of read it a little differently. I saw it more as an allegory and not as a literal thing that happened. And so for me, the question was, well, what would it mean if we read something happening between... Uh, Cecily and her father. What would that mean, right? Because I think literally we would all say, "Oh, this is," as you say, "this is disturbing. It's traumatizing." And I guess we can figure out, you know, sort of both trajectories. Like, what would it mean if this actually happens, and it's it's meant to be read as this very sort of disturbing, this sort of the ultimate violation between father and daughter? Or what would it mean if it was allegorical? Because if it's allegorical, then I think we ask. Some different questions like it's is it some kind of because again one thing we haven't talked about much is sort of the the specter of slavery right and so if we read that kind of uh dysfunction that kind of experience between a father and daughter what would it mean and might slavery have something to do with it because for me and, and when you guys were going off about the, sort of the mystical, and, and and Vincent, you rightly said, and I was going to throw it in there as well, this idea of magical realism, I don't know that we should take it at face value. And I think the ending is trying to get us away from that. It's like the film pushes us through these traumas, and then to me it's asking us to sort of retreat from that and see perhaps if some of these things function on another level. And so for me, I, I think it's more about what does it mean in a, in a family that is let's say, I don't know, 100 years out of slavery, are those dysfunctions that we and traumas that were sort of enacted in slavery, do they still continue to play themselves out? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that it's, you know, again, to, even as an allegory, it could mean many different things, but I think there is something to be said for um, the trauma of sexual violence during slavery and how that continues to filter through in some way, um, and and that there's sort of not just repercussions, but there's this reverberation of that kind of uh, sexual trauma that continues to linger. So I don't necessarily see it just as a father taking advantage of a daughter, but that there is some kind of, and this goes back to even how I read Lewis overall, that there is some kind of Trauma that was enacted then. Because remember, when we see these flashbacks of, you know, the, the, the Elder Eve walking amongst the reeds, there is an, a black man present. There's this mm, very right. sort of deliberate telling of a story of Jean-Paul Baptiste, right, and, and his, in quotes, relationship to Eve, but again, the, there is no black male presence there. And so for me, the, it, in some way, there, this is an allegory about the dysfunction that resulted, right, that that the, the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the, the, that the roles are often um, turned on their heads, that, you know, the relationships are often distorted. And even though they are modern and beautiful and living this sort of kind of resplendent life, that there is this underlying, you know, sort of gothic sexual, you know, uh, sexual and historical trauma that, that is still visited on this family. So that's kind of how I see, um, you know, th- that trauma. And certainly you can read it, I think, in a literal way as well. But sorry, that was very long
2: answer, but... No, that's, good. that's cool. Um, and uh, I see, I think I see what you're your interpretation maybe it's just that I'm stuck in the literal and that mm. that's the way that I see it because to me the movie was as I was watching it steamrolling to that type of conclusion like and pretty much sets itself up for it when Cecily does get her hair done just like her mother you know um that I kind of saw that coming and i, I like i say i i guess i'm just i'm just stuck on the i'm stuck on the literal depiction of it and you
0: know what, and I'm not even being politic i swear I actually agree with both of you, but I think that's what the- i mean she says it at in and, and i wish i you know it there is it's it's so funny like watching this stuff for this show. Like I know I'm supposed to be taking notes and stuff, but like sometimes something will just hit me so hard. I'll forget what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and the ending of Eve's Bayou is one of those moments. And the narrator says, and you know, I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing. She talks about memory and how true, true. memory goes back and forth. And, you know, I joked a moment ago about El Zora, but I think, Part of what we do in and and you know, it doesn't do this throughout the entire film because there are moments that you see when um Eve isn't there. But I'd say eighty to eighty five percent of the film is from Eve's perspective. So that mm-hmm. and 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 I did notice this for the first time. Like I I've been going into this up until this viewing kind of my reading was I believed Lewis's recounting of what happened that night but this time i noticed a he said he was drunk b when 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 eve actually takes cecily's hands and we get the sight you it's very ambiguous about who's telling the truth who's not telling you know who's remembering it this way who is you know misremembering it and through this fog of this moment so that I I actually agree with both like I think I, I I agree with both readings. Like like you know, Michelle, I think you're right. They they kind of frame it from the very beginning that that slavery is always there because it's it this is how this thing started. And and I I think that's a great observation about there is no black male presence in that in that, you know, that that first that first scene where they recount this relationship and I mean, even I think you can fold in what we just said about Lewis and Lewis's masculinity and Lewis with other men, you know, his relationship with other men or lack thereof. But, you know, Lynn, I think, you know, absolutely. Like, you see this thing and it's like watching a slow car wreck. But, you know, I think that's what makes this such an amazing film. The perfect film. The, from what I understand the, the perfect film I don't know
2: if it's the perfect film but uh, I know well, let me
1: wait, let me say it's it's a perfect film and when I say perfect again I'm not saying that it's more perfect than other films I think lots of films do things well right like, but it I, I think it's you know if you're a filmmaker there's certain sort of boxes that you'd like to be able to check off mm-hmm. and as you say to have this be her first film, And you make a film that does so many things that are interesting, and not so much right or wrong, but interesting, visually, aesthetically. Like, I mean, because we again, I'm saying, okay, well, it's allegorical, but I mean, we haven't even really done a Freudian analysis. I mean, so to have this, and this is something that she's written, and she started as it started as a short story, then she made a short film, then she made a feature. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. So, not necessarily that it's the perfect film, but it's certainly a film that does a lot,
2: right? It certainly is. Uh, Roger Ebert, um, back in 1997, voted Ease Bayou as the best film of
1: 1997. Oh, yeah. He loved it. He was a champion of film. He got a lot of people to see the film, I mean, frankly, because they read his review. I mean, he was, as you probably know, he he was a big champion of... Um, a lot of black filmmakers and their work, and really trying to get us to see these films. And he was a huge champion of
2: this film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, that's the other thing. When I was thinking about, you know, how kids should see this film, um, it's it, this is a this is a film that that need should be more widely appreciated. Right. By, by a wider audience, a wider audience, a more uh, diverse audience. Uh, I don't think you necessarily have to be, you know, black or from Louisiana to appreciate this story, these characters, and the tale that uh, Eve's Bayou uh, depicts. Um, it is an extremely well done piece of work, and uh, everyone. Involved, including Samuel Jackson, who was a, a producer on this. He put his money where his, yeah. his mouth is yeah, and yeah. backing Cassie Lemons um, uh, uh, on her debut, uh, and put you know the, the power that he had at the time to, to get this uh, the, the shoulders through and get this made. Um, uh, uh, a rare opportunity to see Deb, Debbie Morgan step out of mm. daytime television and <laughs> and really get to uh, Debbie Morgan. Is
0: so beautiful in this film. <laughs> she is. All right, that's,
2: they're, they're, they're,
0: I, I, I've been good. That's all I'm gonna say. But, good lord, <laughs> how bad is Debbie Morgan? In, okay, all right, go. I'm just saying she
2: is. She she's fierce in this movie. But all the women are fierce let's, in this movie.
0: Let's go and eat, let's go eat pomegranates until our hands are red, and all we <laughs> can think about is washing the juice Watching off. Washing the juice off. <laughs> yeah. All right, go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Go. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. Go. Ahead. I'm letting you have your moment. I've been. I've been doing well. You've been doing well, been and, doing
2: well, and doing I'm. It. I'm very proud of you. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Very proud of you. Um. Uh. Even in small. Small roles, you had uh, Branford Marsalis, who was doing yes. work in this movie. You had uh, your boy, um, Roger Roger Gouverneur Smith. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Showing yes. chops. It, it's just an excellent, excellent film all around. So as as we
0: say, would you tell people to see this?
2: Well, I was going to before we go there, I was going to ask um Michelle, if, is there mm-hmm. any last words that you want to impart to the audience about Eve's Bio? Oh, wow.
1: Um I mean, I just concur with everything you said that I I would like for people to see the film if they haven't. I mean, it's it's been on BET. It's been out there. But, you know, I think, unfortunately, this is a film that, you know, is really best seen in a the theater. I mean, and I think sometimes when people have access to certain films on television and they don't really have much context for it and it sort of just comes on and they don't know anything about it, I think in some ways that diminishes um, the the magnitude of, of what we're watching. Um, so I, I just, I would love for people to see the film and to really think about um not just the time that it's set in or the time in which it was made, but to to go back to what you said, Lynn which I really do agree with, but I do think it's timeless. I think it is it, it sort of marries the past and, and a, a modern sensibility really well. Um and it is again one of the few feature films made by a black woman that actually had a theatrical release, which is unfortunately very rare. So, um it's worth it um just for that. But you you you, you'll be treated to a really wonderful
2: experience a really rich experience as well yeah and and, you know all 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 praise due to Ava DuVernay for everything and the accolades that she's she's received in the most recent years but uh, Cassie Lemons was was knocking it out the box um, absolutely before beforehand uh, absolutely. major major league work um so would you yeah. say michelle well you you just said it people should see this film and uh, oh yeah uh, this oh yeah and
1: buy it and then if you buy there's a certain version of the dvd where you can get the short film that she made beforehand and you can you get to kind of see you know what she imagined it mm-hmm. first. You know, as a short film,
0: and then how she sort of built it out into a feature. That that's really wonderful to me. If you get that DVD package, you're talking about Doctor Hugo. Yeah, the short. Yeah, I watched that. I actually watched that today, and I, I there there's a there's a shot that is just it. She just recreates the the entire shot in uh, East mm. Bayou, and yeah, it's fantastic. So, wow. I, can, I concur. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, well, there you go, uh,
2: ladies and gentlemen. You need if you haven't seen it already. To see Eve's Bayou, a uh, one of the essential black films. Ooh, I'll put it right there. There there you go. Is this the first one? This is the first because
0: I think this is the first time I've heard you use the word.
2: I wouldn't say it's the first one that we've seen. There's, we've seen maybe one or two essential black films. Okay. So far, wow. I agree, with, I agree you. with you. I, I, I but this absolutely is definitely agree. this is definitely one like yes. this is to, this is top ten black this, film.
0: This is one of my favorite awesome. movies. This is one of my. I actually texted Lynn earlier today with a text filled with expletives about how good this movie is, and, <laughs> and Lynn said he didn't want it to talk. Passed, about it has the expletive chat. <laughs> oh,
2: absolutely! Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> Michelle, if any of our fans that l- listen to you on the Michelle Mission and it's like, wow, I like her. I, I want to. Let her know that I really appreciate it hearing her on the show. How might they be able to find you out there on social media? Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, um, I am on Twitter. Um, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, people want to do it on Facebook. Um, and my email, I'm happy to give out my email, which is M. Beverly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa like, don't, don't, give
2: no, don't, 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 don't give out your email. Don't give out your email. No? No. Your, your Facebook and your Twitter is good enough. <laughs> so if they
0: find, I'm saving you. <laughs> I'm, I'm saving you, Doc. Saving See, you. I was actually, I was, yeah, I was actually side, writing down. It. Lynn can edit that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Doc. Don't go oh, there. Uh, don't go there, Doc. God. Trust me. But absolutely, let us know because you said you're writing about losing ground. I am. All right. Well, let, let us know how that how that's going. And, you know, we get Close. when the book is ready to I get out there. to say that's when we'll do oh, it on the, on the show. All
2: oh right? Okay. Okay. It'll be a twofer, absolutely. all right wow. But you didn't give your Twitter handle. If people want to find you on Twitter.
1: Um, it's Michelle P. Beverly um, at Michelle P. Beverly. Sorry,
0: yeah. I'm still trying to get my email. Yeah, at Michelle P. Beverly. There you go. All right. All right, cool. Thank you so That's much, good. Michelle. Yes, this Thank you, Thank this, you. Is, this has been great. This has been great. I have Thank been educated. So much. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we, we all just sat here quiet. And let,
2: I just sat here with two doctors mm-hmm. and let y'all just riff. Oh, well, you know. And I just I just <laughs> took shots at Samuel
0: Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Always Thank forget, you. always remember a conk You do that yourself. A process is professionally done. (laughs) Now you know. It's one to grow on.
2: (laughs) It's one to grow on. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. And uh, you can check out the Michelle Mission dot michellemission.com, on on, uh, Twitter at MissionMichelle, and on Facebook at Michelle Mission. For Vince, for Michelle, this is Len. In parting, we say... We'll see you when
0: it's time to meet again.